Chapter Seven of Craddock Knoll, Volume Three by Richard Dodridge Blackmore. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Lynn Thompson. Chapter Seven. Doctor Hutton's baby was getting better, and Rosa, who had been, as the nurse said, losing ground so sadly, poor dear, was beginning to pick up her crumbs again. Therefore Rufus, who, in common with Rosa and all the rest of the household, regarded that baby as the noblest and grandest sublimation of humanity, if not as the final cause of this little world's existence, was beginning now to make up his mind that he really might go to London that week without being, as his wife declared he must be, if he even thought about it, cruel, inhuman, unfatherly, utterly void of all sense of duty, not to say common affection and she knew quite well what he wanted all he wanted was to go and see mr rivers's peach trees in blossom as if that was such a sight as her baby yes her baby ma's own darling a dove of a dumpling dillikins to think that his own pa should prefer nasty little trees without a hair on them and that didn't even know what bow meant to the most elegant love of a goldilocks that ever was 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 master goldilocks had received from another quarter a less classical and less pleasing but perhaps from an objective point of view a more truthful and unprismatic description of the hair it pleased god to give him governor's carrots are no mistake cried mrs ogeyen the moment she saw him which of course was upon his first public appearance catch biddy out of the way when any baby of any father or mother she had ever heard of was submitted even to the most privileged inspection knew he must have em of course you never can conquer that mum if your own hair was like a slow and you took me black briony all of the time hold him decent will you nurse not slut his head down that fashion he don't want more blood in his hair child ah yes i can see ma'am never knowed more nor two with that red-hot poker colour colour of the red snuff they calls irish blackguard in the top of a hot shovel and one of the two were mr hutton man saving your presence to speak of it and the other were tim brady as were hung at the crossroads near clonmel for cutting the throat of his grandmother oh mary take her away what a horrid woman here mrs ogeyen was marched away amid universal indignation which she could not at all understand but she long had borne against rufus hutton the bitterest of all bitter spites such as only an irishwoman can bear for the exposure of her own great mistake and the miserable result which as she fully believed had sprung from all his meddling and yet she was a good-hearted woman but a good heart is only the wad upon powder when a violent will is behind it not to attach undue importance to biddy's prepossessions yet to give every facility for a verdict upon the question i am bound to state what an old young lady growing every month more satirical because nobody would have her yet quite unconscious that the one drawback was the main cause of the other for all men hate sarcastic women how tersely she expressed herself ridiculous likeness was he born with two cheroots in his mouth but a lady who would marry forever because she was so soft and nice came to see darling baby again 
the moment she was quite assured that he was equal to the interview having denied herself from day to day although it had affected her appetite and was telling upon her spirits neither would she come alone that would be too selfish she must make a gala day of it and gratify her relatives so mrs hutton had the rapture of sitting behind her bedroom curtain and seeing no less than three carriages draw up in a thundering manner while rufus was in the greatest fright that they would not find room to turn but must cut up his turf luckily the roller was in the way or else those great coachmen who felt themselves lowered by coming to a place of that size would have had their revenge on his sod the three carriages were of course that of nowelhurst hall in the van no pun if you please with two noble footmen behind it and georgie in state inside and the kettledrum rattletrap as the hypocritical termed it with mr kettledrum driving and striking statuesque attitudes for the benefit of the horses and mrs kettledrum inside entreating him not to be rash last of all the coonest equipage a very neat affair with mr corklemore inside wanting to look at his wife in the distance and wondering what she was up to oh such shocking taste i know cried georgie directly the lower order were supposed to be out of hearing horribly bad taste to come in such force but what could we do dr hutton there was my sister there was my husband there was my own silly self all waiting as for a bulletin to know when baby would receive and so at the very first moment by some strange coincidence here we all are at once and i do hope darling rosa will allow some of us to come in jonah shouted rufus hutton going away to the door very rudely according to our ideas but with anglo-indian instincts see that all those men have beer please sir there ain't none left brew ain't been since you drank as everyone in the house heard this dear georgie had some revenge however babe rufus received his ovation and the whole thing went off well as most things do in the counties of england when plenty of good wine produces itself lunch was ready in no time and as all had long ago assented to mrs corklemore's most unselfish proposition that she as privileged of pet rosa should just steal upstairs for a minute and then come down again after giving notice of course that dear baby should have all his lace on the pleasant overture of the host was accepted with little coyness let us suppose that we have dined because the roads are so very bad let us venture upon a light dessert i have a few pears even now in april which i am not altogether afraid to submit to the exquisite taste of ladies madame millet and josephine may we think that we have dined as the company not only thought but felt that they had made an uncommonly good dinner this little proposal did pleasant violence to their sense of time it would be so charmingly novel to think that they had dined at three o'clock old people of brief memory for kettledrum hall and cooness loved nothing better than to dine at two which perhaps is two hours too late according to nature versus fashion for such an occasion as this said rufus under all the excitement of hospitality multiplied by paternity we will have a wine worth talking of Clicquot, of course and paxarette for the ladies if they prefer it 
which perhaps they will do because it is sweeter than port but i do hope that some will deign to taste my eighteen twenty president some refreshed george's pretty lip came out like the curl of an opening convolvulus to think of offering her sweet wine when choice port was forthcoming there are few better judges of a good glass of port than mrs noel corklemore port sir for my wife if you please she likes a rather dry wine sir but with plenty of bouquet there is no subject i may say in which she has oh, oh, a more profound capacity my dear noel why you are perfectly calumnious thank you no champagne it spoils the taste of your beautiful water how dreadfully we were alarmed in ringwood we all but drove over a child what a providential escape i have scarcely yet recovered it it has made me feel so nervous what dr hutton port for a lady at this time of day and not ordered medically thereupon of course rufus prescribed it till georgie being quite overcome by the colour as the host himself decanted it capitulated at last for strictly half a glass after a little the ladies withdrew to see double perfections in the baby and mrs hutton who knew quite well what they had been doing while she was discussing arrowroot received them at first rather stiffly but she had no chance with georgie who entered beautifully into the interesting room and exclaimed with great vivacity oh dear mrs hutton as the little boys say here we are again and so glad to get away because your husband is so hospitable and we thought of you all the time i wanted so much to bring you a glass of that very exquisite let me see i think it must have been port though i never know one wine from another only i feared it might seem rude if i had ventured to propose it of course dr hutton knew best of course he didn't said rosa pettishly he never thought about it not that i would have taken it oh dear no ladies cannot have too little wine i think it seems to make them so masculine well dear you know best very likely you heard us laughing i assure you we were quite merry we drank his health three times three don't they call it about a baby and i was nearly proposing yours only a gentleman ought to do that oh it was so interesting and the wine superb at least so said the gentleman i do wish they had brought you some dear i am very glad they did not it is so very lowering to a fine sense of the ideal i heard you laughing or making some noise only i was so absorbed in these lovely poems to my babe is so very beautiful so expressive so elevating i feel every single word of it and this sonnet about the first cropper and the stanzas to his little red shoes terminating with pinch his nose you have had so many husbands dear you must know all about it my darling child how i feel for you but in all probability he will come up when both decanters are empty let him find you in a good temper dear but this which must have grown into a row for georgie had even more spirit than tact and rosa was equal to anything all this evil was averted and harmony restored by the popping in of nurse who had not taken her half-crowns yet but considered them desirable and saw them now endangered goldilocks goldilocks oh bring him here nurse gillikins dillikins oh such a dove and if nobody else cares for poor mamma he has so much better taste hasn't he 
Goldilocks very soon proved that he had, and Georgie, having quite recovered her temper, admired him so ecstatically that even his mother thought her judgment was really worth something. "'Give him to me. I can't do without him. Oh, you beautiful cherub! Kicklewick, I am sure you never saw anyone like him.' "'That indeed I never did, ma'am,' answered Nurse Kicklewick, holding her arms out, as if she must have him back again many a fine child i have seen and done for to my humble ability ma'am since the time i were at lord eldergun's and her ladyship said to me kicklewick says she oh his love of a nosy posy and then his beautiful eyes dick doc and his golden hair you know so lovely chaste and rare you know willem have a dancy prancy and georgie forgetting all dignity went through a little polish dance with the baby in her arms to his very grave amusement and the delight of all beholders although the genuine hutton strain he was too young to crow yet nevertheless he expressed approval in the most emphatic water-colours mrs hutton's heart was won for ever oh darling i am so obliged to you he has positively popped two bubbles a thing he never did before how can i ever repay you by letting me come over and dance him twice a week oh that i only had a boy because i do love boy babies so one would think that you must have had fifty at least before you were five-and-twenty how on earth do you understand him so i only know half what he means though i try for hours and hours simply by sympathizing with him I feel all his ideas come home to me, and I put them into shape. You are the loveliest creature I ever saw. And indeed, Georgie did look very well, for it was not all mere humbug now, though perhaps it was at first. Oh, no wonder baby loves you. Kicklewick, isn't it wonderful? Indeed, then, it would be, ma'am, replied Mrs. Kicklewick rapturously, for now she had four half-crowns in her pocket only for it being nature ma'am nature it is as does it as must be nothing else no good again it and how i should like to belong of you ma'am when your next time comes please god would you mind to accept my card ma'am unpretension but in good families sarah kicklewick late of lord eldergun and have hopes to be again ma'am if any confidence in head footman mrs kicklewick he says and me upon the bridge ma'am with the wind a-blowing to be sure said georgie and the water flowing how clearly you describe it but we must cut her short even as she cut nurse kicklewick enough that she won such influence over the kind but not too clever rosa that rufus hutton's plans and acts so far as they were known to his wife were known also to his wife's best friend but one thing there was which mrs corklemore could not at all understand why should he be going to london so and wanting to go again in spite of domestic emergencies she very soon satisfied herself that rosa was really in the dark upon this point and very indignant at being so this indignation must be fostered and pointed to a practical end mrs kettledrum of course had been kept in the background all this time and scarcely allowed to dandle the baby for fear of impairing her sister's triumph 
how wonderfully kind and thoughtful of you said rosa as georgie came in again have you really brought me a glass of wine and no one else in the house to suppose that i ought to have any nourishment how can i thank you mrs corklemore no more mrs corklemore if you please i have begun to call you rosa it is such a pretty name and you must call me georgie darling every one does who loves me then i am sure all the world must dearest georgie how did you get it i'm sure i would not touch it only for your sake oh i did such a shameful thing such a liberty i never took before i actually sent the servant to say with mrs corklemore's compliments that she felt the effect of the fright this morning and would like another glass of port but would not touch it if any of the gentlemen left the table even for a moment and they actually sent me a dock glass in pleasantry i suppose but i am very glad they did i will take some if you take half dear not a drop my poor weak head is upset in a moment but you really need it dear and i can so thoroughly feel for you because the poor count when my floor was born waited on me with such devotion day and night hand and foot and i am sure mr corklemore must do the same no husband could help adoring you oh he is very good according to his lights as they say but i have known him let me cough three times without getting up for the jujubes and once but perhaps i ought not to tell you it was so very bad oh you may safely tell me dear i will never repeat it to any one he actually allowed me to sneeze in the carriage without saying that i must have a new fur cloak or even asking if i had a cold oh dear is that all i may sneeze six times in an hour and my husband take no notice but run out and leave the front door open and prune his horrid little trees and then he shouts for his patent top dressing he thinks far more of dressing them than he does of dressing me and don't you know the reason don't cry sweet child don't cry i have had so much experience i understand men so thoroughly oh yes i know the reason i am cross to him sometimes and of course i can't expect a man with a mind like his you may expect any man to be as wise as solomon if you only know how to manage him it is part of the law of nature then i am sure i don't know what that means except that people must get married and ought to love one another the law of nature is this between a wife and a husband there never must be a secret except when the lady keeps one now your husband is to some extent a rather superior man oh yes to the very greatest extent no one of any perception can help perceiving that then he is quite sure to attempt it to reserve himself upon some point in an unsympathetic attitude this is just what you must not allow you have no idea how it grows upon them and how soon it supplants affection and makes a married man a bachelor oh how dreadful but i really do think dear that you must be wrong this once my husband has never kept anything from me anything i mean which i ought to know then he has told you about that poor wild polly how very good and kind of him polly what polly you don't mean to say oh no no nothing nothing of that sort only the mare running away with him at night through the thickest part of the forest my polly that eats from my hand run away with rufus 
yes your polly a perfect miracle that both of them were not killed but of course he must have told you then after sundry ejaculations rosa learned all about that matter and was shocked first and then thankful and then hurt and now said mrs corklemore when the sense of wrong was paramount he has some secret i am almost sure about our sad affair at nowelhurst and i am sure even if you were not his wife dear he need not conceal any matter of that sort from the daughter of sir cradock nowellas old friend mr ralph mohorn i will tell you another thing answered rosa shaking all her pillows with the vehemence of her emotions whether he ought or not he shall not do it georgie darling as sure as i am his lawful wife i will know every word of it before i sleep one wink if not he must take the consequences upon both his wife and child darling i think you are quite right only don't tell me a word of it it is such a dreadful matter it would make me so unhappy i will tell you every single word just to prove to you georgie that i have found the whole of it out after this laudable resolution rosa may be left to have it out with rufus it requires greater skill than ours to interfere between man and wife even without the tertium quid of an astounding baby the ides of march were come and gone the balance of day and night was struck and sleep the queen of half the world had wheeled across the equator her poppy chintz throne or had got the stars to do it for her because she was too lazy ha huh, that sentence is almost worthy of a great stump orator all i mean to say is that all fools day was over blessed are the all fools who begin the summer which accounts for its being a mull with us and blessed be the all saints who begin the winter and then hand it over to beelzebub in april she tunes her bill several nightingales were at it for the spring was early and right early were many nests conned planned and contracted for blessed birds that never say what are your expectations sir or how much will you give your daughter but feather their nests without waiting for an appointment in the treasury nest eggs too almost as sweet as those of adult patronage were beginning to accumulate and it took up half a bird's time to settle seniority and precedence among them fettle them all with their heads the right way and throw overboard the cracked ones perhaps in this last particular they exercised a discretion not only unknown to but undreamed of by any british government it was nearly dark by this time and two nightingales across the valley strove in a mobian song till the crinkles of the opening leaves fluttered with soft melody in poplar shadows philomel complaineth of her brood her callow nestlings plundered from her by the ploughman's rude from lonely branch all night she pours her weeping music's flow repeats her tale and fills the world with melancholy and woe george four five eleven mr garnet he did neither crisp young leaf nor bulbul neither did his horse appear to be a judge of music man and horse were drooping flagging jaded and bespent wanting only the two things which according to some philosophers are all that men want here below a little food and a deal of sleep bull garnet was on his return from winchester whither he now went every week 
for some reason known only to himself or at least unknown to his family it is a long and hilly ride from the west of Itene to Winton and to travel that distance twice in a day takes the gaiety out of a horse and the salience out of a man no wonder then that mr garnet slouched his heavy shoulders and let his great head droop for at five-and-forty a powerful man jades sooner than does a slight man presently he began to drowse for the stout grey gelding knew every step of the road and would take uncommonly good care to avoid all circumambience and of late the rider had never slept only dozed and dreamed and started then he muttered to himself as he often did in sleep but never at home until he had seen to the fastening of the door tried it again tried very hard and failed thought of bob at the last moment bob to stand and see me hang and hate me and go to the devil no i don't think he would hate me though he would say father could not help it and how nice that would be for me to see bob take my part to see him with his turn-down collars standing proudly up and saying father was a bad man according to your ideas i am not going to dispute them but for all that i love him and so my children shall if i could be sure that bob would only think so only make his mind up his mind up his mind up for there is nothing like it whoa grayling what be looking at and take poor little pearl with him i would go to-morrow morning and do it over at lymington but do it to-night governor no time like the present and us knows all about it a tall man had leaped from behind a tree and seized bull garnet's bridle the grey gelding reared and struck him but he kept his hold till the muzzle of a large revolver felt cold against his ear then issachar jupp fell back he knew the man he had to deal with how stern in his fury how reckless despite the better part of him and issachar was not prepared to leave his loo an orphan no man robs me cried mr garnet in his most tremendous voice except at the cost of my life and the risk of his i have seven and sixpence about me i will give it up to no man neither will i shoot any man unless he tries to get it nobody wants to rob you governor only to have a little ratitination with you possible you know me now bull garnet fell back in his saddle he would rather have met a dozen robbers by the voice he recognized a man whom he had once well known and had good cause to know through his outrage upon whom he had left the northern counties the man whom he had stricken headlong down a coal shaft as the leader of rebellion the night after pearl was christened nigh twenty years ago yes i know you jupp your name is small credit it is to know you and smaller still to know you bull garnet try your pistol thing if you like you must have rare stomach i should think to be up for another murder issachar i am sorry for you do you call it a murder to keep such a fellow as you off no i dunna call that a murder because i be all alive but i do call a murder what you did to young clayton Knoll. fool what do you know of it let go my horse i say you know pretty well what i am i know you haven't much patience governor and be always in a hurry jupp hesitated but would not be beaten whatever might be the end of it i'm in no hurry now jupp i will listen to all you have to say but not with your hand on my bridle there goeth free then i'll know you be no liar 
I'm glad you remember that is the car hold the horse while I get off now throw the bridle over that branch and I will sit down here Come here into the moonlight man and look me in the face here is a pistol for you if you bear me any revenge Scarcely knowing what he did because he had no time to think Jupp obeyed Bull Garnet's orders even to the last for he took the pistol in his hand and tried to look straight at his adversary But his eyes would not cooperate then he laid the pistol on the bank, but so that he could reach it It's a car Jupp said mr. Garnet looking at him steadily and speaking very quietly. Have you any children? Only one a little gal, but an uncommon good un. How old is she five-year-old please God come next Valentine's Day? Now when she grows up and is pure and good would you like to have her heart broken? I'd break any cove's head as dud it but supposing she were betrayed and ruined made a plaything and then thrown away what would you do then god almighty knows man i can't abide to think of it and if the the man who did it was the grandson of the man who had ruined your own mother lied before god in the church to her and then left her to go to the workhouse with you his outcast bastard while he rolled in gold and laughed at her what would you do then jack by the god that made me i'd have my revenge if i went to hell for it i have said enough do exactly as you please me you cannot help or harm death is all i long for only for my children still he looked at issachar but now without a thought of him only as a man looks out upon the sea or sky expecting no return and issachar jupp so dense and pig-headed surly and burly and weasel-eyed in a word retrospectively british gazing at bull garnet then got some inkling got some inkling of an anguish such as he who lives to feel far better were it for that man that he had never been born End of chapter seven